BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Oh, man. As boring and unexciting as Saturday was, oh, did we get a Sunday of mm-hmm. basketball. Some great, great games. Love game fours. Those are, I've been thinking about this more and more, talking about this a little bit on playback of how the even games in the first four games of the series are kind of so much more interesting to me because there's always a level of desperation in those games. It's either one team trying to avoid going down 2-0, one team just lost, they're making adjustments. Whereas game three, it's like, you know, all right, even if we lost, we can get a split here. You're fighting to avoid going down 3-1 and just having the series be over. So game four, other than obviously a game seven, might be my favorite game in a series. Uh, And just some of the great games that I can recall, especially for great teams down 2-1 on the road. Although I don't think we had any of those actually, at least that succeeded. (laughs) We (laughs) saw the Cavs in that situation. and I mean, the the great team down 2-1 on the road might be the game we do for playback on Monday, depending on what version of the Bucks we see. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I mean, that was the other big thing that happened, obviously, on Saturday. So we'll get to Saturday's games. Oh, and after this, but before yeah, we do that, one quick note: this is our last eight-game weekend of the NBA slate. So appreciate it for what it was. Yeah, I'm, I, I think I'm okay with that. <laughs> I, I will like the the play in adding another week. Like I feel like I, we've just been doing this forever already. But the the play in adding that additional intense week, like it's, I love the play in. But man, like it is, it feels like it's been a while already. I'll, I'll be ready for the first round to be over. But uh, the few teams that played today were not ready for that. But let's start in San Francisco where the Warriors some way somehow escape with a 126 125 victory and much to discuss from the meat of this game certainly and what it means for the series going forward and all the adjustments and guys playing well like Keegan Murray who had been invisible in the series but I mean we got to start by just discussing the last I guess probably three minutes or so uh, of the game because that's really where the foundation was laid for what was almost maybe the worst collapse in a game, a playoff game that I can ever remember. Some of the important context here is that both Mike Brown and Steve Kerr pushed their guys really hard, in part because this was a very important game. You know, the Kings had the opportunity to go up 3-1 with two home games remaining. The Warriors needed it in order to basically stay pretty viable in the series. But also because these two teams don't play again until Wednesday. And so I think there was some additional motivation to kind of put the pedal to the metal and go through it. 
And it's not only about the total minutes. Oh like no, they play. They play on Tuesday. Is it Tuesday? Yeah. I, 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 otherwise, I'm going to show up in Sacramento, and there's not going to be a game. Or is it Wednesday? I believe it's Wednesday. Whoa. Okay. Well, that changes my plans quite a bit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thanks for telling me. <laughs> you are very welcome. How am I supposed to keep track of all eight of these series? Seven now. So, um, but so, yeah. but so, okay. So I want to keep saying this table. So. Not only is it about the total minutes played, Curry at 43, Clay at, 49, at 39, De'Aaron Fox at 40, it's also the consecutive minutes and the high-stress minutes going in. So you get into the three-minute mark and something you and I were sitting next to each other, and I noted that at the, like the 4.30 mark, that neither Brown nor Kerr had a use-it-or-lose-it timeout left. And so it looked like it was going to be a very ragged stretch, and one of the guys who you noticed that with was Draymond Green didn't start this game. And, of course, we'll talk about that later. But he was completely gassed. And he was so gassed that Steve Kerr called his second-to-last timeout with 421 remaining. And he didn't check back in. And then Draymond ended up being at the table for a while. That isn't necessarily pertinent for the story. But what I wanted to get into is the cumulative- well, well, but it was also a really weird timeout at that point because it wasn't to make a sub. That was... Because he only had two timeouts left then, and he used Correct. that timeout not under three minutes, which was a, a, a real surprise. It was a real surprise, and the Warriors were up one at that point. Curry did make a three on the ensuing possession, unlike most of the Warriors' possessions after a stoppage. Like, they turned the ball over at the beginning of quarters all the time and a bunch of other things. But it was notable, because then the Warriors go down to one timeout, and the Kings have two. And these guys look extremely tired, both teams, and... You go through the beginning of that final three minutes, and you have a lot of misses, a lot of turnovers. There's a stretch of Fox misses a a three, then that the, the Kings rebound, but then it's turnover, turnover, and then Davion Mitchell hits a shot, and then what ends up being one of the first consequential plays, Kavon Looney sets a. Well, well can, can we also we have to discuss. Deer and Fox throwing it to a courtside fan on a turnover. Sure. We don't have to discuss it, but noted at least. And Warriors have a chance to go up eight after a Kings, I think it was either a turnover or a miss at the rim. It was it was a turnover by Davion Mitchell. Yeah, and then Mitchell is like way behind the play. Steve Kerr is like waving, like, go, go, go. And Jordan Poole, who was very good overall in this game offensively, just has a wide open Clay Thompson in the corner and throws the pass about three feet too low and just gets intercepted by Monk and Davion Mitchell gets a cherry pick to push it back to three like that could have been the dagger to make it so this game wasn't even close so that shift from a potential eight-point lead to a three-point lead then that leads into the possession where I believe it's Clay is coming out of the corner might have been Poole and Kavon Looney is slides his slides his hip to the right and gets called for an offensive foul and you and I were I mean we also had the perfect angle on it salt live it's like oh yeah obviously that's an offensive foul yeah, because he was still moving forward at the time the yeah, contact yeah. took place. It was it was pretty blatant. And then Steve Kerr challenges it. And that challenge, because remember he used that timeout with about four minutes to go, that means that you've you've unless you win the challenge, you've used the Warriors' final timeout. And the challenge failed, no surprise there. And so the Warriors are out of timeouts, and you know, the foul still stands, so that means the Kings have the ball down three with two minutes and 14 seconds to go. And at this point, you mentioned this when we were sitting together. It was really clear that the fatigue had set in for Fox. I mean, he got the matchup a couple of times. First, he gets Clay on him, 
They, and rather than try to use his quickness, get to the rim, or even use his quickness, back clay off, and then pull up from that place where he's really comfortable, which is from the foul line area, he just goes to one crossover, semi-contested, 19-footer. It's listed on the play-by-play. It was about that. And it just, like, you just have to get a better shot. I thought that that was... And, you know, he may just just not had the energy for it. And then he also missed a floater short. But I thought that Fox, as unbelievable as he's been in this series and as he was through large swaths of this game, I thought you did see his inexperience a little bit, particularly in this game, because we didn't see it, obviously, in Game 3. Draymond didn't play. But in Games 1 and 2, Fox really wanted to go at Draymond whenever Draymond switched on to him. And the Warriors put Draymond on him at the start of the second half. And it was really a masterful stroke. Draymond didn't start, but he started the start of the second half, I thought. And Draymond defended him pretty well. And then there are other times that Fox was, like, trying to go one-on-one against Wiggins, like, pretty early in possessions. And, like, and pulling up for, like, a difficult shot, right? Like, it's not like, all right, you want to try to go by him and, like, get a really good shot? Okay. But he wasn't doing that. He was trying to, like, he absolutely can score on either of those guys. Like, it's not like he's no chance. But, hey, there's the difference between a 42% chance of scoring and a 55% chance of scoring. And just the fact that you can do it, I thought he just was not clinical enough about who he chose to attack throughout the game and that he did got a little bit lost in like the competitiveness of like yeah we know you can beat this guy if you have to but like do that late clock like early clock get yourself something better get your team something better after the unsuccessful challenge there are a series more misses including uh draymond green having a huge defensive possession where he contested harrison barnes sabonis gets the rebound and then draymond blocks the sabonis shot yeah, Wiggins. that was that was actually after Barnes stopped a loony dunk at the rim. Yeah, that could have could have put the Warriors up five, and then they came back. It was, uh, you know, Barnes was going right at him, but it was like a three on two, like fast break, and Green stopped both of them, and he he took uh, some pleasure out of blocking Demontis Sabonis, just a little bit, and then Andrew Wiggins um, makes a makes a two, and so that puts yeah, the Warriors that, up. That was out of the. Uh, Steph Draymond pick and roll, which they didn't really run much at the end of game one. Or, or no, I'm sorry, I think it was the end of game two that they didn't run it that much. But uh, And Draymond drives, found Wiggins, Monk kind of lost him a little bit. Uh, so that was, you know, Steph Curry, like they still did not have a great answer for what he was doing, even though I thought the Kings defended a lot better in this game. So uh, after that, uh, Warriors up five, and then the Kings come down and couldn't score again either. Fox missed missed a, a floater and Wiggins grabs the rebound. Curry goes for what could have been the game icer, but it doesn't go in. And at this yeah. point, another Mo- one where he went a little early. By the way, I mean, I think you're not in like total slow it down mode with probably about seven seconds on the shot clock there. But up five, I think it's important to try to run the time down as much as you can. But that was a good shot. It rattled in and out. That could have put him up eight and obviously ended things. And at this point, Monk grabs the rebound. I I turn to you and I go, with the Warriors not having a timeout yet, like this game is not, like this is not over. This could get bumpy here. And then Monk pulls up and misses the shot. And and then, and Looney grabs the rebound and I go, oh, never mind. And less than two seconds later, all of a sudden everything stops. And in the arena, it was very hard for a little bit to figure out exactly what happened. Because well, I was like, 
Obviously, the Warriors didn't call call timeout. They didn't have any. So, what was it? Did they foul him? Like what? Because we didn't what see a foul. Happened right, and there was not a Sacramento foul. Instead, Stephen Curry channeled his inner Chris Webber and called a timeout that he thought they had. Apparently, some other Warriors at least claimed that they thought they did too. And the punishment there is not only a technical foul, which yes, yeah, of course, that's that's the punishment for calling a timeout you don't have. But also the change in possession, and if you, Nate, I assume you might want to be more interested in going through the history of this because it, like, it was long before my time was the the reason that this happened. So it makes complete logical sense. Yeah, and in the 1976 finals, Paul Westfall called. I think he did it twice. I want to say called timeouts that the Suns didn't have. This was in the triple OT game, and that enabled basically you could gain an advantage by getting the timeout and then being able to inbound the ball for. I can't remember the exact advantage that they gained from it, but they had to put in the rule afterwards that because essentially it's like there are circumstances where it would make sense to sacrifice a point to get a timeout. And the rule is now you do get the timeout, but the other team gets the ball. And that's that's what the, didn't used to be the rule, but it, after that, they had to change it so that you, you wouldn't be in that circumstance. I mean, even this actually would have been one of those circumstances, probably where they probably actually, given that Curry was trapped and didn't have anywhere to go, they probably actually would rather have a technical trade like one point up five for a timeout in that situation. Like, wouldn't actually be crazy to do that. So that's obviously why the rule takes place so they have monk shoot the technical free throw he makes it so wait, wait, as a context so the warriors before before the trap of the timeout the warriors are up five with 42 seconds to go and the ball so that's yeah it's not insurmountable but it's pretty close because w- without uh, a turnover it's insurmountable. exactly and, and even if you miss some of the free throws you still get there but instead malik monk makes the technical and then harrison barnes gets a Harrison Barnes gets a shot because remember the Kings have the ball and that yeah, doesn't they play. ran up they ran a play for him to get a three and that was that was a good shot I mean you got to get a three there down four with 33 seconds left Kings uh the ball the ball bounces the Warriors try to try to recover it but the ball just bounces out of bounds off of Golden State so that means it's still Sacramento ball with a not that it really matters but with a fresh 14 and um and then Draymond, who was wonderful defensively overall in the game, I thought he made a pretty grave error here because you're up four with 31 seconds to go. The worst thing you can do is give up a pretty clean three and to give up a fast three pointer because when you, if you, if all you do is give up a two, then the Kings presumably, like, I mean, there's about the differential is so tight here that you're, they're probably going to have to foul. The Warriors have some wonderful free throw shooters. Like, you're getting into that game. But if you give up the three, then you're starting to open the door. There's a way that they can get possession to tie or take the lead. And that's exactly what ends up happening. Draymond sags too far off of De'Aaron Fox, and De'Aaron Fox drills a 29-footer. Yeah, I mean, he just walked up into it. It wasn't like a step back or anything either. And particularly the timing aspect as well. Like, if he even if he drives and gets a two there, then they're under... There wouldn't have been enough of a differential here. It was about a four-second differential. But not that that mattered because Steph Curry is guarded by Fox. Fox reaches. They didn't even double-team or anything. And Curry just goes right to the basket. He shoots with 14 on the time. There's still 10 left on the shot clock. And not only that, but he's kind of he's going for the rebound, doesn't get it, Kings get it, and then Mike Brown called immediate timeout so the two questions i asked in the post game presser first i asked steph about it i I was surprised that that 
this was his answer. He didn't really think that he had made a mistake there. It sounded like here's what he had to say there. Over here, stuff. Uh, the uh, last possession when you guys were on offense is about a four second differential. Uh, you took the shot, I think, with about twelve left. Can you take us through uh, that possession, please? It's always a balance of you know playing the clock and trying to find the best shot. Because obviously, if you if I make the floater, we're up three with. 10 seconds left and you you like that kind of position to have one more stop obviously I missed it was a little fight for the rebound they call a timeout with 10 seconds left so um, you know I, I live with that decision though and D Fox kind of went for a phantom steal I had the whole lane kind of wide open made a decision I live with it uh, wish I would have made it obviously but you know, we were able to get one last stop so that's the nature of the playoffs where you I analyzed that possession, figure out what I could do different. Had they made the shot, it would be a different context, but, you know, you play to, to the buzzer. Yeah, it's always tough to ask a question when you think that they did something wrong and you try to, like, present it neutrally. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I I mean, and particularly for someone who's uh, as opinionated as I am. And then I asked Mike Brown about taking the time out there because it seemed like they could have had a fast break. That's what the Kings do is they love to run. It's only a one point game. So you don't need a three necessarily. Uh, As I point out in the question, they did get a pretty damn good look in the end. So it's not like it didn't work out, but I was very interested to hear Braun's thought process uh, on that. Over here, uh, 10 seconds left. You guys get the rebound off the Steph miss down one. You take the timeout, end up getting the good look out of the timeout. Can you take us through the decision-making to call the timeout there? Yeah, you know, I didn't think that a lot of times you go in transition because, you know, you don't want them to sub defensive guys on the floor or whatever. And um, at the end of the day, the ball was going to be in Foxy's hands, and so uh, I just want to—I'm not—I wanted to make sure that we were spaced right and aligned right to be able to get a good look. And you know, I, again, I felt they were going to keep basically the same guys on the floor because they're veterans and they've won a lot of championships with those guys on the floor. And I thought at the end of the day, uh, we'd be able to get a good look, and and, and we did. We got a good look. I don't know if we would have gotten a better look in transition, you know, than a, a wide open three from one of your veterans. It just it just didn't go in. But that's again, that's not where we won or lost the game. I thought there were some other areas where that happened. Neither team makes a sub. I was again, you know, Clay and Curry are the two guys you might think of taking out of there. Maybe you would think of, and you probably wouldn't think of taking out Looney at that point because they only need a two to beat you. And, but I mean, you would think like, could you go GP2 instead of Curry? Like GP2 had, hadn't played well. He's coming off the illness. They don't necessarily have anyone else they would put in. So they do in fact go at Curry. And interestingly, Mike Brown said, I won't give you more audio, but he kind of made it sound, he said like, we're trying to go for a 1-4 flat and Brown kind of made it sound like Harrison Barnes decided to go up and set the screen kind of on his own to bring Curry into the action and Curry hedged it pretty well and 
Fox tried to get Curry to switch onto him, tried to drive, but Draymond was still there. Draymond and Curry read each other. Curry tries to close out to Barnes. I mean, Fox makes the right play. Barnes is wide open. And, you know, Curry got a little bit of a contest. But, I mean, that's that would should be considered a very open three-pointer by Barnes. And yet the the three-pointer by Barnes ends up not going in and the ball kind of bounces bounces around and Sacramento doesn't have a chance for a putback. So the Warriors survive 126-125 to tie the series at two. I mean, I, I guess my brain just works this fast now, maybe because of the play-by-play stuff. But I mean, like Harrison Barnes' whole life flashed before my eyes as he was taking that shot. Same. <laughs> I mean, I remember when we were sitting next to each other, I think I just like looked over like involuntarily put my hand on your shoulder and I was like, oh my God, that's Barnes. And then, <laughs> like Harrison Barnes had a one open three-pointer to end the Warriors dynasty. Because, I mean, you could come back from down 3-1 if you're the home team. If you're the road team, it's just not going to happen no matter who you are. Uh, unless maybe the Warriors could have done it back in 2019 with, with a fully healthy KD. Other than that, no way. And so I, the Warriors somehow escaped. Man, it is crazy to think that I've been working with Helix Sleep since 2015. And I think that's because my story with them seems to really resonate with listeners. If you've never heard it before, that was kind of the beginning of the direct-to-consumer boom. And there was another very prominent mattress company at that time that was trying to convince you that mattresses were one-size-fits-all. They found the one formula, the one mattress that was going to work for everyone. My then-girlfriend, now-wife, and I ordered that mattress. We ended up having to return it because, hey, guess what? Not everyone is the same. And then she did some more research and found Helix Sleep. We took their sleep quiz and we found a mattress that actually worked for us and our body types. And uh, Helix offers 20 unique mattresses. Everybody sleeps differently. And Helix mattresses are designed for specific sleep positions and field preferences. Hot or cold, side sleeper, back sleeper. So take that Helix sleep quiz. Find your perfect mattress in under two minutes and it's shipped straight to your door free of charge. It's no risk because you really need to sleep on the mattress in your own home. You're like, well, how should I order this if I can't sleep? I'm like, yeah, you're not going to learn anything by going to the mattress store and sleeping on the mattress where do I take my shoes off? Do I leave my shoes on? But then my feet kind of hang off the bed because I don't want to put my shoes on the bed. And is it weird that I'm laying here for more than 30 seconds? You can't tell anything under those circumstances. You might as well just order it, get it sent to your house, get that 100 night trial. They're 10 to 15 year warranty, depending on the model. And there's never been a better time to try a Helix Sleep mattress because they are offering 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash capspace. Easy to slash capspace. We talk about all the time here on the program. That's helixsleep.com slash capspace. This is their best offer yet. I can attest to that since I've been working with them for nine years. And it won't last long with Helix. Better sleep starts now. Don't forget that slash capspace URL to let them know that you came from us. Man, I just love American Giant. Just an amazing clothing company. I was reminded again of how much I love it when I drove from California to Montana over the All-Star break. And you know what it's like when you're on a long road trip and it's cold, particularly when it starts off warm in the bay and then we get into some really cold areas. You're like, well, I don't want to wear like my jacket in the car, but then I get out to fill gas. I'm going to be freezing. But the American Giant hoodie was perfect because despite being made out of a nice 
heavy material that'll keep you warm. It's not too hot as well. So I was able to wear it in the car, not be too hot, step out of the car and still be warm enough when I was filling up gas or going into a restaurant or something that I didn't feel like I needed my jacket, even when it was cold outside. These things are amazingly durable. I proposed to my wife wearing an American Giant hoodie in the Grand Canyon almost seven years ago. I still own that same hoodie. I still wear it constantly. And American Giant has since spread out into all sorts uh, of other types of clothing like their premium slub crew tee the no bs high-rise pant the slim roughneck pant featured in giant magazine issue two every american giant piece is made in america and designed to last no exceptions and it provides year-round comfort so find a closet staple for every part of your spring days at american-giant.com and get 20 percent off your first order when you use that finger code capspace at checkout you remember we talk about capspace all the time here on the program that's 20 percent off your first order at american-giant.com don't forget that cap space code to let them know you came from us okay i, I mean what what is the just for some fun here what is the worst playoff single game collapse that you can think of <laughs> i mean we almost saw one tonight a different one yeah but that's also that's up three zero you know it, yeah, it wouldn't yeah. have mattered in the end right like in a game that like really was important to the flow of the series i you're more encyclopedic on this than i am i don't have any that's well I'll, I'll throw some out here for you i'm sure you'll remember um the one that's always comes to mind for me because i think these collapses it can't only be hey we're playing bad it, you have to have like as they would say in the old days you would have to have a boner like merkel's boner right like just a total you know screw up play like say steve kerr challenging a terrible challenge using his last time out and then not telling his team which is what he actually said after the game he said it was his fault for not reminding his team that they're out of timeouts and then steph taking the timeout when they're out of timeouts and then steph going too early i mean it was just so many things that it would have had to take to lead to this collapse the one that always comes to mind to me is chris paul and the clippers game five in okc in 2014 oh is, is that the, is that the one where he tried to he tried to draw the foul and like huck the ball across the court yeah he tried to make they went to follow him intentionally in the backcourt and he tried to take a shot from 75 feet away to make it a three-shot foul rather than a two-shot foul and turned it over and they they ended up losing uh they also i think had a i want to say they fouled russell Westbrook on a three-pointer in that game too uh and that might have been where i came up with my adage that turnovers and three-shot fouls are the thing that leads to these crazy comebacks a few people threw in like clippers game six against the rockets in 2015 but that's that's different because it's like they just got outplayed right like there wasn't just i'm talking about where you just make just an incredibly dumb mistake another one that was brought up was Derek Harper in a playoff game thought that they were up one and dribbled out the clock at the end of regulation when they were actually tied and didn't go for a shot. There's the J.R. Smith play as well but that wasn't team wide and also like they were just tied they still went into overtime like this these were lost in the game but it was i couldn't believe like if that was had been the game and oh it would have been incredible the shot, that would have like ended the warriors dynasty like <laughs> just like i was i just like put my head down on the table for 45 seconds after it happened i, I couldn't i couldn't believe that sequence of events it was incredible and um we can we can get into the teeth of this game a little bit and as you mentioned game fours are always really interesting because there's a level of desperation and i mean i think you saw some of that in the rotations uh in both directions we saw a little bit of dabbling for the warriors in moses moody and jonathan Kaminga, but both those didn't really hold they each had kind of like short short stints 
Gary Payton, I was surprised that he both played, but played so sparingly. Like, that combination was a little weird. I thought his, you know, he wasn't quite, you know, maximal self, but, and, and he did miss a three that could have, could have really solidified the Warriors' position. But that meant that it was a lot more on their primary six. And I'm sure a lot of digital ink will be spilled on the decision, which according to him was initiated by Draymond Green of having Green come off the bench. And the process there I thought was bizarre because it's not, the Warriors won game three, but they didn't win game three on the shoulders of the five-man combination of Curry, Thompson, Poole, Wiggins, and Looney being so great. That's not what led to that victory. And so it's not like the equivalent of playing the hot hand or, oh, that lineup really figured something out against Sacramento. It was just the starting lineup in a game that they played well in and won. Yeah, I agree. And, and I think that that group is a little bit too defenseless. They scored pretty well in the beginning. I mean, this was finally the game that we expected to see in this series. And it was only Golden State's offensive struggles in the fourth that ended up making this pretty close. But uh, I thought the Kings deserve a ton of credit. They fought back numerous times in this game. They're down by eight late in the first. They go on a nice run to take a, a what became a nine-point lead, 45-36. Keegan Murray really got going. Uh, five of seven from three. He was hitting some tough ones too like off the handoff game going to his right like fading away from the top of the key hit like two or three of those really difficult shots uh did have a key missed layup late that then turned into a warriors three on the other end but he was much better played 33 minutes it was good to see him finally have a a decent game oh and actually we should we should add in the wrinkle that led to that led to a lot of that positive stuff from Keegan Murray and it was Mike Brown being more aggressive than Steve Kerr ever is attacking an opponent's weakness they were the Warriors were trying to hide because they're playing this small lineup they were playing Wiggins as the primary defender on De'Aaron Fox and they were trying to hide Jordan Poole on Keegan Murray and the way that you counter that as opposed to what the Warriors did with Alex Glenn later in the game is you involve that weakness player in the actions. And that could be Keegan Murray setting some pick and rolls. That could be Keegan Murray being the screener in those, but getting getting Poole in the action and Poole's second and third efforts, I mean, oftentimes even his first effort, were not good enough. And that was part of what got Keegan Murray loose. And he was fantastic. Yeah, now Poole did look better in his own right, though, offensively. Yes, like he, did. he actually was really pushing the ball, which he I noted after game three that he just was always going backwards. Like he looked much more confident. He was able to attack the basket and finish also got to the foul line a couple of times so so he played you know he certainly earned his minutes offensively but yeah defensively got attacked oh, quite a bit speaking yeah. of you of using his minutes offensively i'm sure there will be and especially before the ending there would have been some consternation hand wringing from certain corners of everything about the free throw disparity in this game the warriors shot a series more free throws it ended up being uh ended up being six but at different times it was far more extreme that harrison barn shot the second and third free throws for the kings was either late third or early fourth but a big reason why that happened was the Warriors got into the bonus fairly quickly and I believe that was the third quarter and then Sacramento committed three separate non-shooting fouls with the Warriors in the bonus that led to Poole and Curry shooting free throws Poole had four of those and Curry had two and so that really created this parity. I believe at least two of the three, but probably all three were correctly adjudicated. It's just that that's the nature of the of the fouls that was occurring. And so Poole was an important instigator there. Got some got some driving lanes. Got to the free throw line and made those made four or five 
on his way to 22. Yeah, I mean, those six free throws were basically the difference. Uh, Warriors shot 24, King shot 18. And so, so yeah, that, that was definitely huge. I mean, I thought the scoring at the rim and the rim defense was a really interesting battleground in this game. And the Kings' rim protection, Harrison Barnes had some pretty nice plays. I mentioned how he stopped that loony dunk. Draymond also seemed like so keyed up that he didn't have as much touch on his finishes. As I mentioned, he's gotten a lot better as a finisher in the last couple of years. Like this was him more like he had the confidence that he's had the last couple of years, but the game to finish that he had a couple of years ago. I mean, it's pretty impressive that it his age he's improved as a finisher but yeah he was three of 14 and a lot of those were very good looks at the rim that he just couldn't put down and overall the warriors ended up going 25 of 46 in the paint and then the kings also like that was a a big battleground and and obviously the kings i should say for the warriors when they missed the kings were going to run it down their yes and that's where the kings got a lot of transition particularly in the first half but it was interesting that mike brown's this has been actually a theme of his after each of the last two games of the idea of not driving into the Warriors rim protection and trying to score that trusting the pass getting more open threes and I mean because you have Kevon Looney and Draymond Green is statistically maybe the second or third best rim protector in the league now it's different because he's so much shorter I've always thought this that you just have a feeling like oh hey there's a really big guy there I shouldn't shoot it right when it's a Brooke Lopez or a Jaron Jackson but when it's a 6'5 guy you're not going to be scared so you try him and then he just stops you and he doesn't block very many shots anymore but he just he gets his chest on guys like it's a, it's just incredible the rim protecting season that he had when you look at the stats and so mike brown is like hey like we can't be flopping into guys begging for calls and well and on that front yeah. um seth partner brought up a great point he compared it to kind of to the weather over the weekend and the idea that even if and it's not always the case a specific let's call it a genre of fouls is called consistently how it is called within the scope can benefit or hurt one team. And so in this game, one of the things they let go, which benefited and hurt different teams at different moments, was contact finishing around the basket. Like there were a bunch of plays where De'Aaron Fox or Jordan Poole or Malik Monk got hit pretty hard and they didn't call a foul. But I didn't, I thought that generally speaking, I thought the refs called too much kind of contact on, on drives that weren't finishes. Like there were a couple that, that Fox and Monk and Poole had that weren't quite that. But if you got all the way to the basket and there was a dude standing there, you weren't getting that call. But that's the way it was the whole game. So Draymond did start the second half for Poole and they started with him on De'Aaron Fox and they even were more willing to switch Kevon Looney out there. I thought that they went that way because they took Draymond out near the end of the first half and Fox started really going wild against the draw coverage as he did at the end of game two once Draymond got thrown out. And so they really needed to come up with some other option there. They did try doubling him at the end of game two, but he was able to make a couple of passes to Barnes on the weak side uh, out of the pick and roll. And so putting Draymond out there, he was... First of all, Fox tried to ISO against him. He, I think he got him like once or twice, but I thought Draymond overall did a pretty good job of defending, which is, again, just insane that this guy is one of the three or four best rim protectors in the league. And he also is probably their best defensive option against De'Aaron Fox, like who is, I don't know, maybe one of the three or four hardest point guards to guard in isolation. And that's just absolutely insane. So I, I thought Draymond largely got the better of that. Fox had 38 points. 
but he was 14 to 31 from the field and i thought he did most of his damage when draymond was not on him again he wasn't wasn't a total shutdown but it was enough to where it was like okay we don't need to change this right like we have this under control we're not getting cooked anymore and so they just were overall a little bit more active Draymond was also able to help off of him a little bit more still and they still the reason that scheme worked is because then they still had Looney in the game to also deal with Sabonis and I think there was a concern that there just wasn't enough spacing with those two guys out there but uh, I think they figured out especially with Steph playing well Clay Thompson playing really well and Poole playing well that they were able to still do enough offensively even with the two bigs out there and that's the way they went for a fair amount of the second half right I I, I want to single out another key stretch um you brought up Sacramento's resilience and I, I you may have mentioned it but I want to emphasize it if you did the Warriors have this beautiful possession um pinging the ball all around the court getting a wide open Clay Thompson three to end the third quarter puts them up 10 102 92 and crowds going wild and it's like yeah, you know good, good crowd by the way i thought yeah. it was real especially for a 12 30 yeah. sunday and very very good. so the 37 23 quarter warriors are looking good they have a lot of their good players in the floor curry's still out there because he had gotten a rest earlier De'Aaron fox is not out there and then so it's 102 92 and then it's 102-99. It's a 7-0 run with no Fox on the floor. They Keegan Murray got a nice three-pointer during that stretch. Davion hit a, hit a shot. Savonis hit a shot. And that shows a lot of moxie. It shows a lot of heart. They also defended very well during that stretch. And so for Sacramento, like, this isn't a circumstance where oh, the the young the young upstart team that happened to have home court advantage, they got the first two at home, and then the, the defending champions just handled their stuff. No, Sacramento played well enough to be in the mix firmly in this game, and I, they're, I've been extremely impressed with them overall. Yeah, the Kings would score eventually 15 points on their first six possessions of the quarter before to actually take the lead and then murray missed a layup and steph came back with a with a three to put the warriors back up by three but yeah it was really impressive to do that with fox off the floor and i thought the king's pressure as well early in the fourth quarter as they defended had their best defensive stretch of the game was really good they took the warriors the warriors tried to do some more of that dribble pitch action that i was talking about from game three and Maybe they probably should have done it more where they're just starting to play way out on the floor and then getting a a, a dribble pitch, you know, 30 feet from the basket. But the Kings bigs like made that catch tough on them. Like they just, just everything was like 5% harder at times in this game. So I thought the Kings, it, there were times when like, yeah, Curry was just blowing by guys and there's just not a ton you can do. They don't have great rim protection, but I thought even Sabonis, I thought it had some decent rim protection plays in this game, Harrison Barnes. So it was the Kings defended about as well as you could have hoped that they would have aside. From, I mean, really the only thing that killed them was those six free throws late in the third on the non-shooting fouls. Yeah, that's a great point. Uh, Clay Thompson, awesome in this game. And he definitely took, I think, two or three bad twos, but he made all of them. He was five of six from two, four of nine from downtown. Uh, game best plus 22 and had 26 points uh, on only 17 shooting possessions had three assists as well a couple of really nice passes Andrew Wiggins this is probably hasn't gotten enough attention that he just came back into the team and has been like playoff Andrew Wiggins in this series 18 points 
two steals, four blocks. Like some of his blocks have been oh, ridiculous. And especially that one he had where there were no other warriors there. I think Sabonis got a putback, but it was on, I think it was on Monk. It was spectacular. Yeah, my, yeah it was either him or Davion. Um, I thought Mitchell himself was very solid. He matched all of his minutes with Curry in this one, 27 minutes. And I thought he was negative 15. That'll happen when you match all your minutes with Steph Curry. But he did a pretty solid job, I thought, of just, again, making it a little bit difficult. He actually like cut Steph off on a couple of drives and it was... Yes, even the Warriors, they might be better served trying to run some guard pick and rolls at the beginning of possession. Again, not that Curry can't beat him, and he has, but it would be nice to make his life a little bit easier every once in a while. Uh, any other like individual performances that stuck out to you? I, I I mentioned this before, but it's worth kind of illuminating it a little bit. Um, one of my big criticisms of Curry is the idea that they don't tailor their schemes to attack other teams, and they had Curry. So at first, Curry was out when Alex Len came in. But but then they they brought Curry back. I think it was about two minutes to go in the first first quarter. And during the rest of the first quarter, they ran exactly zero high pick and rolls at Len with Curry. And it's not very hard to figure out how to attack a really tall dude who isn't the most mobile in the world. You get them out defending in space. We'll talk about some of the wrinkles that Cleveland did in a game they eventually lost. But like, it's more egregious to not do that with Alex Lennon. So it was another... And, and Len played well. He played hard, had a couple of big rebounds, you know, was plus 11 in 11 minutes. But part of that was Len is Len, and you have to do what you can against him. Yeah, and I, I think maybe it's a little unfair to say they don't attack the weaknesses of some of these players, but I think they do it more. They try to just do it in the flow of the offense, and sometimes that they can get away from that when it would be nice, particularly in the playoffs, because sometimes they were a little bit more intentional. Kevin Herter just cannot get going in this game. He found something in his floater from two in game three, but he was only 0 for 1 on threes in this one, played 21 minutes. They really were trying to do more of the handoff stuff with Keegan Murray, and obviously they ran more through Fox as well, and Herter wasn't giving them a ton on defense, so they went to Davion Mitchell very early in the third quarter, and Warriors did win this one in the third quarter, 37-23 was the, the score there to go up 10 after that. Anything else you had? I have like two three like smaller notes. no i think that's about it for me yeah we can talk adjustments then in a second if any but uh, i thought the king started with a pretty interesting set that i wish they had gone back to more and in particular to try to get key and murray going when he was being guarded by a smaller player and they could do this with barnes they could do it with herder too which was sabonis at the right elbow and then whoever's being guarded by one of the small guards trying to duck in with the size advantage then if that didn't work then that guy would go up and set a screen for Sabonis to try to attack going to his left hand and they got one little little good look there for Sabonis then Looney kind of figured out what the play was the next time and got through it and forced a miss but then they also got something out of that where I think it was Murray set that screen and then popped out to the three point line as well. And so I thought they really, they only ran it probably three or four times that I can remember, but I would like to go back to that, particularly because it takes advantage of the smaller guards, get someone like Murray or Barnes into the game and also like gives Sabonis a chance to do something. And then this was a fascinating, we've seen the Warriors do this a couple of times at the end of quarters, just double teaming to make the other team go early and hope that the math will work out. They did it actually as the Kings were trying to get a two for one. And I'm not really sure what the thinking was there to like, it doesn't give you a ton to go early. Maybe it's like they don't run the time down. So then you can get the two for one coming back. It's a, it's a, uh, 
a four for four instead of a or a, a two for two instead of a two for one but so it actually works and they come back and score and then they tried to double fox and fox just sort of didn't accept the double team he just held on to it for a while until there was little enough time left and then he got off the ball and murray hit a huge corner three right at the end of the first half so that, that was a good adjustment there by the kings interesting to see whether that'll happen at the end of quarters what do you have in terms of potential adjustments here Put Draymond Green back in the starting lineup. I mean, that that's one. If Gary Payton II is available to play more, I, I, I think you should lean on him a little bit more aggressively. Like DiVincenzo, again, he had a pretty solid floor game in terms of, you know, had a couple of assists, had a couple of big rebounds, but he's a limited shooter at the Kings. The, I mean, he, he, you know, statistically, like he's been better at times. And I think Payton can do well there. Like you wish that Kuminga could put it together well enough to be to be a consistent part of the rotation, but like there are even plays like there's there was one where he like he didn't react quickly enough to a potential offense rebound. De'Aaron Fox got it instead, and it's like especially if you're not going to be playing very often, you never want to be beaten to plays like that. For Sacramento, I, I think they have the right closing five, depending on the circumstance. I really like what Malik Monk can do, having that kind of other creator. I think he's a better fit than Herter for what they want to do. So, yeah, I don't really have a ton of really different wrinkles for them. Yeah, I'm interested to see with GP2, was he just not playing because he wasn't 100%? Like, they did play him, but it didn't seem like he was in the early part of the rotation. I would probably go to him over DiVincenzo, who I didn't think played particularly well. He hit one big three, but that was about it. And and the Kings got to just continue to run. Like, this is the first time that they we've seen them look tired, and maybe in front of their home crowd, that won't be the case anymore. And particularly with the two days off, I mean, God, what a massive game this is going to be. Neither team turned it over much. The Warriors basically confined all of their turnovers to the first possessions of quarters and out of timeouts <laughs> although the the pool one at the end and then obviously the curry timeout wasn't great but golden state 11 turnovers like they should be able to win games under those circumstances and golden state i thought uh, what were the transition stats in this game i never actually looked them yes golden state did not run hardly at all no they didn't this, but they're but this is fascinating and this is what mike Braun was talking about sacramento 58 offensive rating pushing the ball off warriors misses and so they just had a lot of missed layups that then came right back in golden state their offensive rating off of transition was 166 kings was 100 even though the kings ran a lot more than golden state did yeah the warriors 88.5 percent of their possessions were in the half court which is extremely high but they had a 109 half court offense rate yeah the offensive glass sacramento won it in the first half golden state won it in the second half i think that's a, the possession game is a key battleground everyone was talking about that post game for Sacramento I think you know I'm glad that they stuck with Murray and hopefully they will continue to emphasize him I think just his movement shooting it provides a, a new element like and finally Sacramento made threes at one point there were seven to 12 in the first half then they cooled off and obviously they missed the ultimate three at the end but still 14 to 35 for the game that's pretty good Warriors were 40 percent but the Warriors have better shooters than the Kings do Fox continuing to take the three ball like that's going to be really interesting to see whether he can still make that or not I think we're going to see more pick and rolls with the Warriors weaker defenders involving Fox especially if Draymond is going to be on Fox but then of course it matters that the guy setting the screen be able to do something because they are going to hedge and maybe that would be a way to get something out of Kevin Herter who's being guarded by Steph Curry early in the game they're not going to want to switch Curry onto Fox so maybe that's a way to get 
harder open in a way that he hasn't been able to really get off uh, with the handoff game. Fox also could just be a little better as a passer too. I think he he didn't have his best passing game in this one. Only ended up with five assists. Yeah, I'm interested to see like is the rotation going to just shorten like crazy again in this game five? Because the Warriors did play ten guys, but Kaminga three minutes, Peyton seven, Moody five, and they should they should be able to get if Pool is healthy again, which he appears to be. I think they're just going to need Peyton to play more, and I think they need to win this defensively with just a great defense ever. I mean, I think it seems like it's going to be a Herculean effort to win this one. What is your impression of where the series stands right now and like who you would predict to win it? BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Anyone who's seen our YouTube videos knows that I don't wear formal stuff all the time. So when it's time to dress up rather than dress down, I highly recommend Inochino. They were the official outfitter of my wedding. I got my tux from there. All my groomsmen got their sport jackets from there as well. I felt really good about having them be the outfitter of my wedding because all my groomsmen were going to get stuff that they could continue to wear that fit them perfectly. Because when you go somewhere else, you're not going to get something that's made for you. So why not measure yourself in 10 minutes or visit a showroom rather than feeling like you're wearing somebody else's suit that they tried and failed to tailor for you. And not only does Indochino have the suits that made them famous, but now they've got everything. Blazers, pants, women's wear, outerwear, designed and made for you. Hundreds of high quality fabrics to choose from. European wools, linen, cottons, tons of colors, tons of patterns. You can customize things like the lapel, the vents, the pockets, and you'll get a piece that is personalized for you in fit and style. Level up your game with Indochino. Go to Indochino.com. Use the code CAPSPACE. Use the CAPSPACE. We talk about all the time here on the program. You get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's 10% off at Indochino. I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O. Indochino.com. And don't forget that CAPSPACE code to let them know that you came from us. I have Sacramento as a favorite. I think they've played really well overall. I think they've played especially well in their home games, but it's it's close. Like I would, you know, it's I would probably have I don't know if it's like 55-45, but it's it's definitely in kind of that sort of a range. But I think Sacramento's the favorite to win it still. Oof, yeah. I and mean, it's been I thought that the Warriors quite outplayed Sacramento in this game and it was a great effort by Sacramento but I didn't think that they should have been in it necessarily at the end like I think this should have been like a comfortable 7 to 10 point win for the Warriors based on just how these teams played through the overall meat of the game so I think the Warriors are a better team but man I mean that environment we've seen how things can change when and this is two pretty good home crowds Sacramento's is great so and they are gonna be crazy jazzed up now with the Kings coming home I I think it's almost a pure toss-up I I think if the Warriors had home court it would be I would say Warriors advantage for sure like clearly like I do think the Warriors are better but Sacramento can absolutely still win it I mean if you if you're like you have to choose one I would still pick Golden State I just I can't I can't pick against like this team and, and these players especially because like Draymond, Steph, Clay, like those guys are like still playing well. And like Sacramento deserves a ton of credit for how well they've played in this series. 
And you certainly, I mean, maybe the one thing that changes that is you think maybe Sacramento has the edge if it gets down to the very end of the game. But I mean, both teams could be up 3-1 right now. Sure. Like if Wiggins three goes down in game one, and obviously if Barnes three goes down in this one. So 2-2 two, yeah. two feels about right. And one well, and the Warriors absolutely yeah. could have won game two as well. That was the, I mean, maybe the, was the Wiggins track game two? Or was that? Uh, that was game one, but obviously the dream on ejection was game two. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's a good thing there aren't any other games to discuss considering we spent, as we recorded, 50 minutes on this one. <laughs> yeah, this is an old school Sunday night in the playoffs since we didn't record last night. Okay, let's. I'll give you the choice here. What would you say, uh, just uh, which one would you like to discuss? I think we should go to Cleveland Knicks. Um, I, I mean, in many ways, the ending of Wolves Nuggets was more memorable, but Cleveland, New York is fascinating in part because the series is still in play, you know, less in play now that the Knicks are up 3-1. And I wish I could remember who to give credit to on this, but there was a note that I saw, it might have been Mike Prada, that Cleveland made some good adjustments at halftime of game four, but making those adjustments at halftime instead of doing it at the beginning of the game, considering the Knicks were already ahead and they had the huge Madison Square Garden crowd behind them, it made it so that even though Cleveland was able to get back into it, they were coming from a hole. And so we'll talk about what some of those adjustments were and we'll talk about some of the big performances in the game. But I thought that was a really fair point that like involving Mitchell Robinson in the high screening action to to mitigate his damage as a help defender and some of the defensive stuff with the Coro and a few other guys like those weren't exactly details that J.B. Bickerstaff, who I've praised a lot this season, needed an extra half to figure out, hey, that's worth trying. Yeah, considering we were talking about it after game one and then they found the guard guard screening in game two and then they run back to the wall on that in game three and, and it didn't really work. Work. And obviously, the Cavs' inability to hit a three-point shot was a big problem in this game as well. But the Knicks were, were way off also. So they don't really have that necessarily as an excuse for why they lost this game. And the Cavs do come back. They have an execrable first half. They're down nine and lucky to be so. And they've scored... 45 points and we're like man what an awful awful offensive first half and then they go crazy at the start of the third with Mitchell Robinson being involved they're putting two on the ball and then swinging it Darius Garland gets going I think he either scored or assisted on their first five buckets four of them are layups one is a Garland jumper off the dribble they make five of their first five and in fact that pushed to seven of their first seven from the field in the third they go back up and then the malaise set in again and I want to give a lot of credit to the Knicks. I think that their their defense of pretty much everybody in the rotation was was impressive overall. The juice they get from their bench. There was a big stretch from Deuce McBride. Quickly had a much better game than some of his others in the series. Defensively, you know, he missed all four of his shots, but he was still, I, I thought he still really helped the team overall. And then, you know, a lot of the kind of what have been some of the the hallmarks of the series were kind of different but some of the like you know the Knicks actually their transition frequency was significantly worse in this game than it had been in some other ones and I thought the Cavs did a better job getting back in transition defense but one of the ones that was still there was not only the offensive glass but the Knicks going after offensive rebounds whether they got them or not and they had an offensive rebound rate in this game of oh I don't know 41 percent but they weren't it wasn't a trade-off because they weren't getting burned in transition by the Cavs well in part because even when they didn't get the offensive rebound either the Cavs had to all crash back 
and were like, thank God we actually got a rebound. Or they would just tip it out of bounds, but it'd still be the Cavs ball or get a hand on it and like more guys would have to come back and it'd bounce around and then the, you couldn't run. And the one, the few times I think in the second quarter that the Cavs got anything going was when they were able to attack in transition. Like they got clean rebounds and pushed it. They got a three shot foul by Quickly, who's not had a good series on Jetty Osmond. And so that kind of let them hang around a little bit. But overall, they just couldn't get a rebound and they couldn't run. Let me ask you this question. I, I got asked this actually in the chat as I was just doing some of my ad hoc playbacks for the end of the last two games today. Are you more impressed with the Knicks or disappointed in the Cavs? I think both of us, you didn't make a pick in this. Mine was Cavs and Six. I'm guessing you probably would have felt similarly. I think so. Um, I'm such a believer in the Cavs top four. Um, and so I, pro- I probably would have gone in that vicinity. I, God, it's a lot of both. Um, but I think overall, I want to praise the Knicks. I think their energy level, they're pushing the ball, though there are some exceptions in transition. And my frustration in the Cavs, part of why it may be a little bit lesser, is that the question I was going to ask you is, are you more disappointed, frustrated, whatever? In So you have three kind of prongs here. One is coaching. One is the players. One is the general manager. Because like I've been frustrated with the third prong of that a lot, where it's like, you know, you and John have been calling it like the crucible, getting crucible, like the the Cavs not identifying that their their options for that fifth beetle were insufficient. And I mean, if you, if you want to go back to Kobe Altman, who has made many good moves overall, his decision to give up a first for Karis Vert, even before they had Donovan Mitchell, like that he he wasn't consistent enough of a positive to, to work in that. And like, so I think all three of those for the Cavs are also intriguing. Yeah, I really thought Karis LeVert had turned the corner for good after that game too. <laughs> It's, uh, it's it's I thought it had finally happened. Yeah, I, it's hard for me to put much on Altman because I don't think there was anything available for what they had to sell. Right, like it, it was funny. Like difference I, in the series. I thought about during both this game and I think it was game two about no, it must have been game one because he turned his ankle. But um, how Josh Hart would have been a really nice piece for the Cavs, but the Knicks gave up a first round pick. Like they gave up a first yeah. in that. I can't kill the Cavs for not making that trade. Like they didn't have it to do. No, I think, didn't you go after Josh Hart in the mock? Yes, I did. Deadline? Yeah, and, and I think I if I think it was me who ended up trading him, but I didn't have a first out there for Hart at that point. Here's what I would say. I think my conception of the Knicks' strengths was pretty solid coming in. I think I may have slightly underestimated the magnitude of those strengths, particularly in the offensive glass. But I think my bigger miscalculation was in feeling that Cleveland had the pieces to deal with those strengths. Like I didn't think I thought, all right, they played two bigs, like they'll be okay. But they uh, on the glass and they. Had haven't been uh, and with this being such a rock fight the offensive rebounding matters more than ever i thought that if the knicks decide to put pressure on the perimeter and trap that the Cavs could do something about that that evan mobley would be able to make a play on the short roll and he just hasn't been able to do that and again you know maybe that's because i underestimated mr robinson and and isaiah hartenstein's rim protection a little bit and i thought the one thing that i have been right about is that evan mobley was going to lock down julius randall and i'll credit tibbs for just playing ob top in the whole fourth quarter top and plus 11 five offensive rebound he had one really deep three two in the first half as the Knicks were getting out to that 10 point lead so that part of it I was right about and 
Yeah, they also, they just haven't been able to get Mitchell and Garland going at the same time. And this has been two very disappointing games for Donovan Mitchell. I mean, his line was ghastly in this one. Five of 18 from the field, missed all four of his three-pointers, five assists, six turnovers, four fouls, and negative eight in 42 minutes of action. Yeah, I mean, that's six turnovers in particular, man, that is really rough. And maybe he's worn down all And, and like, I, I was thinking about one of them was he threw a pocket pass into four Knicks. And yeah, that ended up turning into uh, two points the other way. It might have even been three. I think that was the one when Jetty Osman had the terrible foul on Josh Hart where he basically tapped him in the back and gave up the three-point play. So and the other problem, and this is why they closed with Osman, although it didn't work, is yeah, when the Knicks are putting two on the ball in pick and roll, they're just forgetting about the opposite corner. And I thought Isaac Okoro played pretty well. He was the only guy who could do anything defensively against Jalen Brunson, who we probably should have mentioned earlier with his 29 points. Sure. And, uh, uh, you know, I think he's been able to get going a little bit more, maybe. Than... <laughs> by by the way, the only guy in this, te- the only player in this entire game who could make threes for most of it, he was five and nine. Yeah, I mean, again, twenty six percent from the Cavs and twenty eight percent from the Knicks in this. I mean, what did what did the Cavs shoot last game? They've been like 25% in the two games in New York. It's insane how bad they shot it. In game two, the Cavs, or sorry, game three, the Cavs were 7 to 33, so that's 21%. And the Knicks were 30%, but 30% is a whole lot better than 21. And so they're, but that, yeah, they had Okoro out there and he actually was plus one in 17 minutes, but he was one of five from three and all of them were dead wide open in the corner and they just didn't guard him and he wasn't able to make him, you know, he tried to baseline drive every now and again. But then you also had, have the issue for the Cavs at the small backcourt of RJ Barrett getting loose like yes. he's not going to be defended by a great player and, and I thought it was interesting that JB Bickerstaff started the game and they gave up quite a few points with Garland on a sprained ankle guarding Brunson and he is the head of the snake but they don't have a way to match up so that Barrett isn't being guarded by a small guard and Barrett hit some threes he was the only guy who could hit some threes in game three this game it was all about attacking the cup he, he was 9 of 12 from two and 8 of 13 from the line as well i had 26 points so he had a nice couple of games in new york good bounce back for him and and he was part of the solution for them defensively as well uh what, what else sticks out here uh grimes didn't play no he uh, didn't. miles mcbride came in i thought he only played five minutes but i thought he was pretty solid defending i mean i, I was just thinking about the difference in depth that miles mcbride would be the obvious third guard on the on the Cavs and Ricky Rubio again they had put this lineup out there with Rubio and Karis Levert and Okoro along with Mitchell and it just like Mitchell's not gonna be able to do anything (laughs) in that lineup they don't have other guys that they can put out there in theory I mean they've Dean Dean Wade has got like seven minutes in this series and he was apparently so bad that he hasn't been allowed to see the light of day since then so yeah I mean that was the other thing I thought the Cavs could deal with the Knicks depth but instead it's just that their own depth has been exposed so badly to the point where when you only have four players it's an even bigger problem it is and yeah i mean just to just to do the full accounting of it jalen brunson 29 points six assists six rebounds uh i i thought he he did a wonderful job orchestrating not getting rushed getting to good shots and especially in the first half when the knicks built up their lead i thought it was fabulous see if i have any other small ones Randall also struggled defensively yes as the Cavs made their run early in the third and three of ten oh four from three all of them were bad shots again I didn't really see them using him in pick and roll and Randall has been falling into some of his worst ball stopping tendencies when he does get a 
touch because he feels he has this clock in his head that he hasn't scored and he needs to do something. So he's not like moving the ball quickly, making quick decisions. And of course, him trying to go one on one against Evan Mobley just hasn't worked at all. So, uh, and Toppin was really good with his effort and energy. So it was definitely a good thing that he closed it out. And Tibbs did say with Randall not at 100%, the quick turnaround Friday to Sunday, particularly since this was the first game to today on Sunday. Like this was like really a true almost 36 hour turnaround like yeah. like like yeah. sun's clippers on saturday oh uh, yeah yeah i forgot about that series uh isaiah hartenstein i thought was awesome at the start of the fourth and they were in that aggressive pick and roll coverage putting two on the ball and there are a number of plays where he would double the ball handler they'd pass out of it get a drive somewhere and hartenstein would actually get back into the play to contest at the rim really impressive and uh donovan mitchell again he's improved a lot as a defender but you know he also just gave up like a straight line drive and an isolation to obi toppin probably need to be able to cut him off make make him turn at least once and uh the josh hart turnaround from the free throw line as the shot clock expired that kind of put them up um one one adjustment i would say for the Cavs here is they really could use and this isn't the type of screens that jared allen likes to set but they really could use like some gortat style of screens but with the knicks putting two on the ball they can't get to those as much you know and if it is a big on the back line it's usually another big coming out him in a two-on-one but yeah jared allen has hasn't really had like a great game in the series mobley ended up falling out i thought that his defense on drives wasn't that great he was sort of like either not contesting enough or not trusting his size and falling for pump fakes which he did for a couple of fouls anything else on this one i think i'm done you give the Cavs any shot at all to win the series yeah minimal i give him a shot i mean the knicks have uh, thoroughly outplayed them so far yeah no I, th- th- that's true but i also think that and hey if tom thibodeau can win a series in five without home court advantage what poetry would that be huh since uh he's lost I- series that way i, I don't know that the that the knicks will necessarily win it in five i just think they won't lose it we'll see well that's why i'm saying it's like i still would favor the Cavs slightly in games in cleveland and obviously there could be an injury that that's something that could happen but i think it's just this series is enough of a rock fight that i'm not willing to just say for sure like donovan mitchell could still go off in the series though he looks quite defeated Cavs could actually make a three-pointer so I, I think they're like when you're down 3-1 but you have home court like you always have a shot I think actually we should look that up actually what the what it is when the road team is up 3-1 like what percentage chance there is to come back I think almost all of the 3-1 comebacks in history have been in that circumstance the home but I think you know not like, not Cleveland on the Warriors in the 20 in the in the 2016 finals no I think I mean I can't think of many in fact LeBron well yeah that's the only way I, oh the other thing i was thinking of is games in which the home team won the first six and then the road team won game seven there have not been too many of those series either but i know lebron has won one of those and he and he also had the comeback bp added more than 70 billion dollars to the u.s economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in california and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. 
From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, let's move on here. We got a lot to get to. Uh, I, I don't... Let's do that Denver, Minnesota now. Are you ready for that? Yeah, that I, I am. To... That is where I was where I was going to go. And a kind of a delirious game at times. And I, oh, I, oh, at times. At, at times. times. Well, the first half wasn't super delirious. This is the first half. <laughs> and, and those times were from the 258 mark of the fourth quarter. <laughs> well, no, I, I actually thought that there was some important stuff in the third, too, where Jokic hits back-to-back threes, though there was a Gobert dunk in the middle, to put the, to put the Nuggets up nine about midway through the third quarter and you kind of have this feeling like oh you know closing closing the drawer on the wolves it's been you know disappointing series for them overall and then anthony edwards pushes minnesota back from that brink and you know he, he has this huge third overall and 16 points Six of eleven from the field. Um, also has a couple of assists, plus ten. As as the wolves kind of, they end up with they end up with the lead at the end of the third. And so I, I thought that was a, a, a notable stretch for him. Um, and then you get you. So I mean, there were a lot of weird, just weird things in this game. But the the wolves lead by twelve points. Edwards makes a big step back with two fifty two left in the fourth quarter. And you're like, oh, okay, good for them. I didn't turn it off because I know better than that with these wolves. And oh boy. So, yeah, I mean, I thought it was iced at that point. It was 96-84. Edwards had a ridiculous step back there. He had a couple of shots in this game that were bad process and good results. Like, his talent can just overcome that bad process sometimes. So, Malone takes a timeout, one of the two under three minutes, draws up a great ATO for a Jokic three, where they had Murray fake like he was curling off of Jokic and then slam Gobert at the screen. Jokic steps out for a three. Towns missed a three Coming back almost at the end of the shot clock. They push it up right wing. Porter Jr. hits a three and all of a sudden it's six. They come right back. Alexander Walker misses a three. Another rebound. Porter Jr. in the handoff game. Both these times he's being guarded by Conley, which was not the matchup that they wanted, but it it just ended up getting there in transition. And Porter Jr. pump fakes Conley, hits another three, nine points in three possessions, and they're back within three in less than a minute and 30 seconds. It was perfect basketball. And there wasn't really even that much strategically to take from this. Mike Conley turned it over. Jokic got a great steal. They were running a side pick and roll with Gobert. Conley tried the bounce pass. I would go for the lob when it's Jokic because he can't jump and he's got great hands. And then Conley, I thought, committed a foul that was right on the borderline reaching in of a transition take foul. If it were early in the season, it would have been called as one. It should be a transition take foul. It's not supposed to be. Jokic makes an incredible fadeaway on Gobert in the post. Still no timeout, interestingly enough. Porter Jr. then blocks Gobert's layup after a nice pass underneath. Nuggets uh, push it up and then they call timeout when they didn't have anything going. I was pretty shocked that out of the timeout, they came out with Carl Anthony Towns guarding Nikola Jokic. Yes, for for a number of different reasons. One of them being like Towns had battle foul trouble throughout the game. He hasn't done a particularly good job on Jokic. 
And then, as despite his protestations, completely correctly called foul on Carl Anthony Towns. Yeah, it was a cheapie, but Carl Anthony Towns commits a lot of cheapies. He put his hand right in Jokic's chest as he tried to drive on him. And maybe Finch was thinking, like, they had gone to, they'd had some success with the Gobert on Gordon matchup at times in this game. So maybe he was trying to just outsmart Malone to, like, throw off whatever the ATO was. But again, Jokic just going right at Towns. Like, you just, you probably want to be able to stop, like, the primary option there the thing the thing that they that if as soon as they see it's it's a possibility they're going to go to immediately yeah probably a good idea and Jokic though misses the first it just spun out makes the second they try to run the time down with Edwards and Contavious Caldwell Pope got a great strip on Edwards Murray helped off a Conley to kind of take away the driving lane Edwards tried to pull up and KCP missed that so we go into the OT Towns of course falls out on another kind of ticky tack foul I thought Jokic actually did a good job of flopping because he didn't he didn't flop until the pass the post-entry pass was like way too high over his head and then he flopped after that and got the foul but Mike Conley made a huge like Nuggets go up two. Conley made a huge step back on Jokic to get him back in the lead and then Alexander Walker had two huge three-pointers oh wait quickly before the Nikhil plays the Conley step back three was a banker from the corner oh yeah I'm sorry I'm thinking of actually one earlier in the game in the fourth oh okay yeah that yeah so thank you for correcting me yeah that the banker from the corner that was uh, yeah that i mean that was a they needed that desperately but another one uh in the feather of the cap he says that momentum going into overtime doesn't matter because i don't think the wolves uh had much momentum it was hard to have less and then yeah Uh, yeah two gigantic threes from Nikhil alexander walker who i thought did a nice job defensively overall and it was so funny because they they hit Nikhil hits those two threes they're up five with two minutes 30 seconds or so to go in the overtime Edwards blocks an Aaron Gordon layup which was then that was challenged originally they ruled there was a foul on Gobert on the play that um and then and then they're so they they but the Nuggets get the ball back and then they turned it over Aaron Gordon committed an offensive foul so you're like okay Wolves are up five with two minutes to go. It's not over because, of course, we just saw them blow a bigger lead in a shorter period of time. And just for funsies, they made it a little bit interesting again. Yeah, they're up seven with 129 left. You thought it was done. And Murray gets two two shots inside. Jokic makes a layup. It's down to one in less than a minute. And then Edwards finally ended the proceedings with a step back three on Aaron Gordon. Another just terrible process play. Like he, oh, let me get their best defender switched on to me. <laughs> and then and then just go at him. He backs off. I love going for the three in that situation up one actually because like you can end the game even if you get a two probably like a you're gonna be like driving in the basket so your floor balance won't be as good harder to run the time down like i actually kind of like going for the isolation three there to just like put the game completely out of reach so wolves live to fight another day and they'll lose game five almost certainly but really just crazy end of the game. I mean, it would have been one of the all-time collapses. It was even just to go into overtime. And they should have lost. Like, if, if Jokic just makes that free throw, they almost certainly would have lost the game. But in this Wolves team, this is the story of their season. Look like shit for a long time and then have a little bit of a bounce and salvage some respectability, but ultimately not be good enough. That's kind of where they're going to be in this series. Jokic had 41. I thought actually Gobert did a really good job of defending. It's crazy to think of a guy who had 41 on 15 to 26 that they actually defended him pretty well. And you look at the overall overall offensive rating for the Nuggets like their plan actually was pretty good to force Jokic to beat them because he wasn't really setting guys up and 
the overall offense, I mean, the Nuggets had 108 in an overtime game. You want to just bang out a couple of these small ones here. Brooklyn, Philly, we can talk about briefly. And mercifully, Philly closed it out, but without Joel Embiid, as we talked about on Friday. Well, and I, I think the one one thing to start, kind of start with, we, we obviously won't do a season series preview of their next round series for a while because we don't even know for sure who they're facing, though we have a pretty good idea. But Doc Rivers, after the game, saying it's roughly 50-50 that Joel Embiid will be ready to start the next series so that's good yeah and perhaps perhaps even more importantly that means he's not gonna be 100 in that series correct and he's it's just hard to imagine that he's gonna be able to do enough like he'll go out there he'll have an impact he'll take up space around the rim they'll probably have to like double team him in the post but it's just like he has to play the way he played in the regular season i think for them to have a chance in that series against boston and it makes it a lot less likely that he's going to do that. But in this one, a pretty good end of the game for the Sixers. Tobias Harris was the big star. And the Nets did fight back gamely, but 9-37 to three-point shooting did them in in the end. Uh, one thing that stuck out to me was that Tyrese Maxey has been a little bit better defensively in the series. He's only 6-20 on offense. But I thought that he, for the first time that I've seen him, has put up a respectable effort, at least. Where it's just, he's not just complete me every time now trying to guard Spencer Dinwiddie who's attacking him that's or even Mikhail Bridges that's different than Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum and surely they will involve him in plenty of actions as they will James Harden in the next series but I I want to say that his effort level has really improved a little bit Harden's two-point shooting has just become an absolutely and and the Nets are a good rim protecting team but it's just nowhere close I think to where it's going to be like anything going to the rim he's missing it like the only things he can make from two are like stop on a dime step back from the right elbow and he was two out of 13 from two in this game 11 assists was was plus 11 but that's just they're gonna need more from him i i think too despite it's weird that uh, obviously with him being injured that's part of it that they swept this series but i still i don't really feel much better about them going into the next round um i'm gonna tell john that paul reed uh, had an amazing second half and and was uh five of ten with ten points plus seven and and he's gonna think he's dreaming and he doesn't want to wake up but it actually really did happen he was really good in this game uh he got some good stops on switches uh, i thought his rebounding on both ends was amazing eight offensive rebounds that's about it i mean the, the nets just didn't have it from a shooting perspective and Royce O'Neal like there's talk that they could have gotten a first round pick for him at the deadline I'm like man you probably should have done that because I think he's he's uh really struggling these days on offense you've noted his like below 40 percent two-point shooting these days don't have much else to say uh, about this we'll get it the Nets offseason will be an interesting discussion sure it will we can go to the team that the Sixers are likely to face in the second round they're not definitely yet the Boston Celtics eventually took care of business in Atlanta winning a game at Fortress Phillips Fortress State Farm, I guess now, um, to 129-121. And I thought Robert Williams was very impactful when he was on the floor. He played 29 minutes and had, oh, you know, like 13-15, two-block, two-steal game. Uh, had a couple of big plays also had a couple of nice passes and so i thought this was the first time since the injury and obviously i haven't watched every celtics game but the first time since the injury that i felt like he was making some of those ridiculous blocks that he's one of the few people in the world that can make he still was having a positive impact but like he got capella like he just blocked clint capella's like lefty hook shot out of there he got i can't remember who else he got on a drive but he just came absolutely out of nowhere and 
And so, yeah, he, he was fantastic in this one. And he, he certainly having him out there wasn't enough to like mess up their spacing that they couldn't score on the Hawks. Cause uh, yeah, they're able to score pretty well on that front. Both Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown each had 31 points on roughly 20 field goal attempts. Um, Brown, 12-22 from the field. Tatum, 8-20, but 11-12 from the free throw line. Marcus Smart, 19 points. Derek White, who's having a very nice series overall, he had 18. And something to file away. I I only saw the video after the fact because I I did watch a fair amount of the closing section of this game. Um, But... After the game, DeJounte Murray was discussing something with one of the referees and bumped the referee after the game. Uh, I mean, he, I don't think the discussion began basically with him bumping the guy. Right. Like, I, he like, he walked up on him pretty aggressively. I think, I think he's going to be suspended for game, for game five, personally. I mean, like kind of a smart, smart move. <laughs> it's like, you just get, get your vacation started early. Uh, yeah. And Murray didn't, didn't play particularly well in this one, negative 16. I, it's hard to, well, yeah, they, they, it was it, it, the non-Trey minutes were not the most successful in this one. Trey was even in 41 and the Celtics lost or Celtics won by eight. Yeah, and I'm not, I mean, Murray did only shoot one free throw, but, and they were losing by 10 the whole fourth quarter. Like it's hard to really point to the refereeing as being a, a major issue there. Like, if, all right, your guy blows one call right at the end. I can understand being more upset there. And DeAndre Hunter was fantastic for the first three quarters. He was 11 and 14 and then he did didn't make a field goal 0 for 3 in the fourth. Young did have the long three ball working very late in the game uh, and did have 35 and 15, 11 to 26 from the field. He did a lot of his damage in the fourth where Boston was kind of like, eh, I mean, we'll just keep out scoring you here. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the Celt- the Hawks, what was the closest they got? They got within maybe like five or six. I don't think it ever got closer. I think it, it, I turned on the, the cast as, as it got to be its closest. It was four early in the fourth. And I don't think it ever got closer than that. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it was 95-91. And then Tatum hit a three to put him right back up. And then it got... And yeah, whenever... Yeah. yeah. Sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. And Trey cut it to five at one other point. But then Marcus Smart got a dunk. And then uh, Brogdon got a shot. And then back up to, I think, eight. Yeah, and the Celtics, I really enjoy the myriad ways they have to attack Trey Young. And every once in a while, they would just get bored of it and go do something else. But whether it was having Trey Young's man screen for one of Tatum or Brown and and Brown was 12 of 22 he was devastating attacking the rim and or whether it was having Trey Young as the guy he was guarding as smart and wider both capable pick and roll ball handles I think that smart dunk was just coming right down the lane when Trey was guarding him I don't even think he even needed a screen on that frankly and so just anytime they ran something at him they were just getting great looks and they were able to cash out the three-pointers as well so just a business-like win for the Celtics has been a business like win in this series and i'm sure they wish that they could have swept it they probably should have won on friday rotation wise grant williams only one minute after he played well i thought in game three but they went back to hauser instead uh, malcolm brogdon even though he was he got the ire of the state farm arena fans 
because he had said that Hawks fans weren't really that dedicated when he was growing up in Atlanta and he was among them. Uh, I think the booing didn't really throw him off too much. Newly minted sixth man of the year, Malcolm Brogdon, by the way. So there'll be a game five. If it's close, I'll probably watch it after the fact. But I think we, uh, we've we got bigger fish to fry at this point in time and looking forward to that Celtics-Philly series. Just hope nobody gets hurt in game five, basically. Another kind of perfunctory game that existed over the weekend... Um... <laughs> The Phoenix Suns were down early against the still shorthanded, still Kawhi-less LA Clippers, but ended up winning 112-100. Chris Paul had a huge fourth quarter on his way to 19-9. KD and Devin Booker both had 30-plus. The Suns hit, they they hit threes, but they didn't take many threes. Not a huge surprise there. They did get to the line of sun, 27 free throw attempts for them. And of those 27, 19 of them were Booker and KD. Not a huge surprise when you think about the rest of the team. Aiden actually had four free throw attempts in this game. And he was more assertive, which was definitely a good thing for them. The, the headline for the Clippers was Russell Westbrook, 37 points, 17 of 29 from the field, including three of six from three. He had a huge game and fought, fought the, I thought the Clippers overall, you know, the, the parts of it that I watched, it was paralleled game three to an extent where they fought gamely. They, you know, did realistically did some of the best they could and just didn't have enough. Yeah, the biggest news from this game was reported by Chris Haynes early on that Kawhi had swelling in the knee and there's no timetable for him to return. So hard to imagine that we're going to see him again in the series, particularly with them down 3-1 and total bummer. I thought this series was going to be really good or and at least that we were going to get to see to the game's best Kawhi and KD matchup kd played 45 minutes he says he can handle it and that there's they have a bunch of time off after this game anyway i think they next play on tuesday right so they they had two days off they wanted to go up 3-1 i mean it's a little disturbing that they needed to play guys this many minutes you know chris paul in the high 30s again just to beat this clippers team that isn't i mean doesn't have like a top 50 player in the nba playing for them right now well westbrook is probably playing that that'll the the whole what they do about westbrook is will be an interesting one to discuss in the offseason but Westbrook has really helped them in this game now or, or in this series and even since he was signed but two things are different number one is their two best offensive players that he in theory would have been signed to complement haven't played but number two his defense has just been so much better like that's the thing that he deserves a ton of credit for that he actually he's been the defender that he has fancied himself to be like I think a few years ago I scoffed as he called himself the best defender at his position and he actually has been like pretty good like his effort level overall has been really impressive uh even in what will surely be defeat two games left on the docket do you want to do the game that we ostensibly did for the for playback or the game three that we're going to do the game four for playback well so i think actually we're going to do tomorrow we're going to do the end of milwaukee and miami oh okay that's how you want to do if it. it's close yeah I, I like doing that better because then you can get both games sure it seems it makes more sense to do it that way unless like also also that could be a comfortable hedge on milwaukee miami game four not being close either direction exactly, exactly. yeah that's that's why i like it too it's like you only have to do it if it's close but yeah let, let's talk about memphis and the lakers and the closest it got, I think, was the final score at 111-101. The LA Lakers led 35-9 to after the end of the first quarter. And if we had if we had done a pod on Saturday night, as opposed to waiting until Sunday, we probably would have spent five minutes lambasting Taylor Jenkins
Higgins for his decision at the end of the first quarter to add partially due to foul trouble. And and I mean, John Moran also needed some time. He was recovering from a hand issue, though. We'll talk about his, his game overall. They get into foul trouble and the Lakers are already starting to starting to run things. And Jenkins puts in after, I believe it was after Jaron got his second foul, this absolute no-hoper of a, of a lineup where Ja, Jaron, and Desmond Bain, two of the three had two fouls, were all yeah, out. And they're down, they're down 26 to 9 at that point. 26 to 7. But anyway. 26 to 7, thank you. And the it's it's another one of those like the theory of the lineup problems. And so during the the there was no real way for that Grizzlies group to score. The only basket that they had was an offensive rebound put back by Luke Kennard and they didn't really even have any other good looks really they were getting tough shots and so during that stretch after Jaron picked up his his foul so D'Angelo Russell I'm not going to count the free throw that he made that sent it to 26 to 7 because that was that would that lineup was in then but that was a foul that occurred beforehand so from that point for the rest of the quarter it was a 9 to 2 run and when you think about how close this game got towards the end you could also of course argue that if it had been closer earlier the Lakers would have played it differently and you just can't do stuff like that well it's one thing if like the game's close at that point it's one thing if you're up by five but it's just the evaluation of risk is so terrible the number one risk when you're down 26 to 7 is not that your good players may not be available to finish the game if it's close the risk is that the game will end in the next four minutes of the game and yeah okay even even Ja, right who wasn't in foul trouble like that's his normal rest he had this hand issue like that's a hand though like he's able to condition it's it, he obviously wasn't on so he played 42 minutes in the game so this idea that like oh we had to stick to the rotation it just and I, it's not even a question of like having reserves out there because they're called reserves it's just you can't just have your three best players all off the floor and the only guys who can do any and they, i don't think they, they didn't even have brooks out there either is another guy who at least creates something for you even if it's and so they missed a bunch of layups and a bunch of threes and you know maybe if you play that time over they make one more shot and it's only nine to four i get that but you just uh, we were going crazy on the cast and and then we we're like oh wait this means we get to turn it off and we can and i could go i can go spend the rest of the evening with my wife uh so then i actually i was kind of happy with taylor jenkins after that because i have not had a chance to see my wife very much these days but yeah it was just you guys know how we feel about this we, we've railed about it a bunch of times but this was this wasn't just like taking one of your guys off this was just an awful lineup and i realized taylor jenkins has a lot of faith in his bench and a lot of times over the years that faith has been justified but this was just particularly against the lakers crowd i thought this was crazy danny you know you know the last lakers playoff game before this one that was played in front of a full fan audience i think i only know this because dave benjamin tweeted it but it was a decade ago right the C- it was in 2013 this is after kobe had torn his achilles oh yeah the, the this is going to be fun season they get swept out by the spurs dwight i think he got thrown out in his final game with the Lakers, Steve Nash was still playing uh, on that team. Oh no, I think they finally they, Nash might have they just shut him down probably for game four. So they started Darius Morris and Andrew Godlock at the guards in that game. I didn't watch a second of that series with no Kobe. By the way, I, I don't remember anything about it other than those ejections. But that's what a decade it's been for the Lakers. And so LeBron James, Anthony Davis, the first home playoff game they've ever played in front of a full crowd in LA. That was crazy to and- me. They've been there. 
it for four. This is their fourth season and they, there. And they won a championship during that time. Of course, of course. Um, and they celebrated by LeBron James getting sack-tapped by Dylan Brooks and getting him getting him ejected from the game. Yeah, I think the... It seems like we're... The rule now is any contact to the groin is like an automatic flagrant two. Shout out, shout out to Tony brothers. And it seems like there's this backlash to like the Draymond stuff in 2016. And sometimes when you're like, I didn't think that Brooks, that was like an obvious non-basketball play. And so I mean, maybe that's a flagrant one, but obviously the precedent of Harden the day, I actually thought the Harden one, a lot of people would disagree with me on this. I actually thought the Harden one was a more justified ejection than Brooks. Now, maybe there's the reputation of Brooks and the fact that it's LeBron and but the Harden one to me he was like intentionally committing a like that's like shoving the guy off of you while you're doing that's actually like kind of a non-basketball play and you're trying to get space but it's not like you're not doing anything legal like reaching in for a steal is you know in theory a legal play so I'm uh I'm disappointed that he was thrown out but I think yeah that's got to be looked at just this idea that like certainly I know the referees don't want to bring intent into it and it's that's not in the flagrant foul criteria but I don't think it should be any attempt and anytime you hit someone in the balls it's an automatic flagrant like I just don't think that something should be the well, case. well Nate, the, and I don't think that's the rule but Nate the important question is are you more disappointed in Dylan Brooks ejection or the Lakers yeah Brooks didn't have it three of 13 missed a bunch of shots early and and I would say overall that it doesn't seem like he plays well coming back from these controversies. Now, he did play pretty well in game six against the Warriors last year, but he was awful in that game four, uh, missed missed a bunch of shots. So maybe it's just it's not a good idea for him to put all this attention on himself because he it just doesn't seem to play well, particularly offensively after he does that. And the other thing that we can talk about about them building that lead, which we haven't even discussed yet, is before they took out Jaron Bain and Ja at the same time, they really found great stuff with D'Angelo Russell, who had his first solid game of the series. He finished up 5 of 14, uh, but was a team best plus 13. But he really got going during that period. And they, they were running this double drag involving Ja, where they didn't want Ja necessarily to be switching on to Russell, but the, that's what ended up happening. And so they just, they ran it probably five times where they got five different things out of it. First, they got Russell getting to the cup. Then they got AD on the roll. Then they help to the nail. Russell throws it to LeBron to cutting in for a layup on a go and catch then russell misses but ad is there on the offensive glass because that's opened up and i will admit i didn't watch the entirety of the rest of the game to see how often they went to that again and how well it was defended but the way they ran that one play was really impressive and then on the other end just nobody could get anything going other than Ja. And Jod did most of his damage in the second half. He had at one point had 22 straight points and certainly looked very athletic. I thought early though, when he was trying to get comfortable, like it was clear that he couldn't dribble the way he wanted to with the right hand. Like that was the biggest thing. Would you agree with that? I would. And I thought the the Lakers understood that reasonably well, got a couple of deflections and a couple plays like that, but he did look better shooting and then had a couple of good finishes, even in that first quarter. And then of course finished six to 10 from three, which is significant 13 to 14 from the line. Also significant on his way to 45 points in as you mentioned 42 minutes yeah that's six to ten from three is big of course we've seen him have those games before and not be able to necessarily keep it going uh but yeah i mean 40 45 points and 13 assists 
particularly in a game where his team only scored 101 points is pretty impressive but also maybe indicative that their overall offensive process wasn't great they did go back to lebron on jaron and jaron really wasn't able to take advantage of that he had six turnovers four or 12 so being able to get davis back into the primary action guarding tillman it was really i think more of a function of morant not being available that they felt like they would put davis on jackson and uh, lebron did a better job guarding him and uh, lebron he didn't he tried to take over with some jumpers early what did his shot chart look like he ended up being uh, 10 of 16 from two but it had a, a few contested jumpers early some went in some didn't you know it seemed like he did come out trying to score but sometimes these days that means he's just going to be more aggressive looking for the jumper which isn't necessarily great offense for the lakers but overall a, a very efficient game but yeah. interesting that he was negative six in this what was a blowout victory lebron seven to ten in the restricted area only one shot in the upper paint which he made two of five from mid-range and oh four from three so that's two of nine on jump shots eight of 11 inside the paint and if you want to add in which is reasonable to do five to seven from the free throw line so yeah there's this game's was such a blowout early that it's hard to think of what the main adjustments are are going to be but i I think the biggest takeaway that you have from this game is just that jaw looked good enough to play really well sure and obviously this game is the series in all likelihood for memphis and it certainly feels very hopeless for memphis right now but all you got to do is win game four and you're in control of the series again when you're the home court advantage team and so if the lakers want to win this one they got to win this one or if they want to win the series they need to win this game to feel really good not that they have no chance but if they want to feel like they're in control you need to be up 3-1 not 2-2 and so yeah this is i think this is going to be an awesome game i think we're finally going to get to the point now where these two teams are going to be both operating at a high level there's like the break in a period again for Ja. hopefully he'll be feeling a little bit better a couple days off as well the hand i guess it's only one day off this time but that's uh i think this game is going to be a really good game i'm looking forward to it that's why we're doing it for playback last game of the weekend one we haven't discussed um Giannis Antetokounmpo didn't play again um and he is I believe last I saw was questionable for Monday's game four Miami again the three-point barrage continues 16 of 33 on their way to a 121-99 victory in Miami yeah this is again this series has somehow gotten absolutely no publicity I guess because Giannis hasn't been playing but man did Miami just smack them pretty good here let me it's been a while so I want to go through my notes again before I start talking but the heat went to Kevin Love rather than Duncan Robinson and I thought that was pretty big that they had Bobby Portis uh, on Kevin Love used him in a lot of screening actions the Bucks started with Portis and Lopez but then they ended up getting matched up a fair amount with Love at center in the bench units with Brooke Lopez and, and that opened up the lane some Jimmy Butler I mean he's just having a great series even in game two he was excellent offensively he had 17 in the first he hit four threes all of them that set shot variety you know he kind of like when he shoots off the dribble he shoots more of a jump shot like he was but they went under on him and he made him pay Hey, four threes at 17 points in the first to, to get him off to a great start. Yeah, I mean, Jimmy Butler just bringing the three-pointer back whenever they get into a, a playoff situation or, or certain other ones. And while you mentioned Duncan Robinson, 
didn't start. He had a big seven for nine from the field, five of six from three, plus 24 in 24 minutes of action. So they got good minutes from him. I thought Lowry played well during the time that he was on the floor, that 20 minutes. He's still not starting, but he, he played well. He actually was on the floor more than Gabe Vincent. And then unfortunately, one of the other important heat storylines is that at the very end of the game, Victor Oladipo went down. I, it was, it was a patella, it was patellar tendon, um, but he's, he's out for the rest of the playoffs and probably for, yeah, for and a while much beyond of that. next season yeah much of next season surely as well and, I, and this is crazy because he did the quad tendon on his other leg and the quad tendon and the patellar tendon are very similar the patellar tendon connects the kneecap to the shin whereas the quad tendon connects the kneecap to the quad and so they're all kind of part of the same thing so it's amazing that he got pretty much the same injury on the other leg but and you can see whenever you see someone go up and basically like they just fall on their ass like that that means that they probably like blew out a, a patellar tendon or a quad tendon and like there's a brian Suter had a good video on it i've done my patellar tendon and i i that the way the knee kind of like bowed out in addition to just collapsing like that like that was the exact same thing that i felt when i did mine and so i was pretty sure what it was immediately is because even when someone messes up an acl you see the knee kind of go sideways but the guy usually will like still jump and then he'll feel the pain and like land very awkwardly but when the the tendon goes out there's just nothing for the muscle to exert its force on and just your leg just completely collapses and like when you're going that fast you're just gonna fall on your body it was it was pretty miserable to see for him and you know i don't he is a reserve like i don't think there's really an argument that he like shouldn't have been in the game at that point uh when it was pretty much a blowout so they they are gonna miss him obviously they're they're already down tyler hero in the backcourt as well i want to get back to robinson though and this was partying like it was 2020 with bam they got right back into some of that same handoff stuff that they love to run together and bam had five assists which is more than he's been been having lately uh robinson had 20 points uh game best or sorry not game best uh, cody Martin's or caleb Martin's game best plus 31 but robinson plus 24 in 24 minutes and really just caused a lot of problems for chris middleton or whoever else was trying to guard him and that was that was huge i mean obviously miami has shot very well from three in this series but the Bucks were shooting pretty well too, particularly early on with some really tough off the dribble threes from Holiday and Middleton. And then those dried up in the second quarter. Miami got out to a nice lead and the Bucks never particularly threatened down the end. What was the closest it got? Well, and also to kind of to tell part of the story, Milwaukee really struggled from two, which is another change that happened at, at times in the series. They were 11 of 16 in the restricted area, but 16 attempts is very few. Seven of 19 in the upper paint, five of 11 on two-point jumpers. So that overall, you know, and, and of course, missing missing Giannis and only getting to the line 12 times is a, is a part of that story too. Lopez. Yeah, they, and they got, got smoked, at least during the competitive portion of the game, in the possession game, 18 turnovers. And so, yeah, as soon as like they stop making every three, they're really in trouble. And yeah, this is a really good defensive game, giving up only 99 points for the Heat. It's crazy considering that Milwaukee put up a buck 38 on them later. I thought the move to go to Kevin Love really helped out on the boards and where and on some of those just duck in plays. And man, I just love watching Kevin Love rebound the basketball. I mean, he only played 21 minutes, but just anything in his area, not only does he have like great hands, but just his ability to just control this massive swath of space around him in addition to going and get the ball is it's just incredible. I, 
I nobody really seems to care about rebounding anymore. Maybe it's cool again now uh, with the possession game being back in these playoffs. But I still really enjoy watching the guy rebound. Even on the, it's rare that I like watching somebody defensive rebound. I even mm-hmm. enjoy that for him. Let's see what else is there to talk about from this one. I mean, Middleton's still looking good physically. That bodes very well for Milwaukee if they can kind of get their footing in this series and make it make it beyond this. And we'll have to see. I mean, that's going to be a part of it. I mean, Middleton, though, 23 points in 34 minutes, uh, made three of his five threes and, well, five of five of nine from two. But I talked about Milwaukee's overall struggles from two. Brooke Lopez, nine shots from the field, no free throw attempts. I, I would like to see them use him more when Giannis is unavailable. Seth wrote about that in the Nerd Nosh earlier in the week, I believe. Yeah, you talked about Milwaukee's struggles from two, and they were 11 of 15 in the paint just in the first quarter of game two. That game two home team down 1-0 effect is so strong. And that was remarkable. Again, you mentioned they're only 11 of 16 in the in the restricted area for the whole, I think I said in the paint area. They're 11 of 16 in the restricted area for the whole game after they're 11 of 15 in the restricted area just in the first quarter of game two. What an outlier that was. This So this scene, Teams, obviously with not Giannis not playing to be maybe a little bit closer to what the equilibrium of this series is and what, what you can expect like I do think the Heat have a few more weapons I thought they did a nice job of going at Grayson Allen and Joe Ingles in pick and roll Ingles struggled in this one he was uh, only two of seven from the field Jay Crowder really hasn't had any kind of an impact in this series at all he only played 13 minutes Allen shot well, Grayson Allen from three, but I, I thought he struggled some defensively. Drew Holiday, after he had a 16 assist game in the series, he only had three assists. And I thought that after he really got hot early in the first with some jumpers, I thought he got a little bit of tunnel vision driving in the lane. They didn't pass the ball out nearly enough because you knew coming in that Miami was going to be like, we can't get beaten paint like this again. And so they got back to your father's Miami Heat defense with guys just crashing into the paint from all over the place, trying to prevent penetration or to swarm guys who did get into the paint. And I thought the Bucks just overall didn't do nearly a good enough job of trying to kick out to open shooters. That led to a lot their 18 turnovers holiday had five turnovers so it really was not his best decision making game we've seen that like when he's asked to be the number one or number two decision maker in a playoff setting against a, a good prepared defense that, that's a little bit much for him it is and hopefully we don't have to see that again but we will find out about Giannis's availability closer to game time a few other notes i, I thought it was you saw a slight bit of peek behind the curtain in Bud's interview after the first quarter when Butler hit those four threes because it just has to be so vexing for an analyst and even more so for anyone playing Butler of like, all right, the game plan is to go under on Jimmy Butler. And he's like just volatile enough on all these jumpers that it's like you just you're always like questioning that in the middle in the back of your mind. And so he's like, yeah, I guess we, he's also like, yeah, I guess we should like get up on him more. <laughs> like in the interview, he's just like, he wasn't even sure about it. It's kind of funny. Uh, the Heat went on a 19-0 run to really break it open uh, late first, early second quarter. During, through 16 minutes, I mentioned the, the Bucks shooting the restricted area. They'd taken only three shots in the restricted area. I thought Butler... In the midst of his shooting spree in the first, great scouting report move on Pat Connaughton, who always tries to block three-pointers. He pump-faked him in the air and got three free throws out of him. That was really, really smart. Butler, you always hear that he's just like one of the absolute smartest players, and it, that was just a, a small example of that. Uh, the Bucks tried to go at Duncan Robinson and pick and roll. Didn't really have a ton of success there. The Heat, I mean, it doesn't really matter what their personnel was. Like, it was Lowry and Bam, which, you know, Lowry's not a great pick and roll player at this point, but... 
Lowry's being guarded by Joe Ingles and Bobby Portis was playing in a drop coverage. When Portis is the only big, they don't put him out on the floor. They put him instead in a drop coverage and Kyle Lowry and Bam Adebayo were able to cook that. And then Portis got his third foul and mercifully saved the Bucks from any more of that. Butler, even with Drew Holiday on him, I think Holiday is their best option to guard him. They don't really have anyone else outside of Giannis that I would really trust. Like I think Crowder is probably too slow at this point, but like Holiday is not ideal to guard Butler. Like Butler can rise up over the top of him. Holiday is vulnerable at times, like off ball cutting and offensive rebounds. Butler got him on a couple of those. And Butler also can still shoot over the top of Holiday as well with his size. But I don't really know what else they can do. And it'd be great if you could let Drew Holiday be saved for offense. So, I mean, Giannis better come back soon. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's I think that's my ultimate conclusion here. Like they, to, I, I'm not sure if they've been holding him out. I don't know if he was able to go. Like, uh, who knows, sir, didn't really. Like this weird reporting where there was like optimism on it, but then he couldn't play game two and then he didn't play game three either. It's like it's the, the that area can be kind of tricky, but to the extent like that they've been holding him out, uh, play time is over. Like they can't go down three, one in the series. And, and I would make, if, if Giannis doesn't play, I would make the heat substantial favorite. I would too. Bucks could win it for sure. But, uh, and, and the bucks would need, just need to do more with their size and in the effort categories than they have. We done here. I think so. All right. That is some old school dunk done for you right there. Looking forward to the game tomorrow, which we'll be doing on playback so we'll talk to y'all then at bet 365 we don't do ordinary we believe that every sport should be epic every goal every game every point every play from the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar whether it's a game-winning goal in the final seconds of overtime or a shot on the goal in the first period whatever the sport whatever the moment it's never ordinary at bet 365 21 plus only must be present in virginia if you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help call 1-800-GAMBLER terms and conditions apply